Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Eat Well, Move Well podcast or radio. radio what do we decide uh, to call it? It'll, it'll get clearer as we do more episodes. Yes. Um, my name is Roland Denzel, and I'm a nutrition coach and a personal trainer, a kettlebell coach. And sitting to my right is my wife and partner. Hi, I'm Galia Denzel. And what are you? Oh, I'm a restorative exercise specialist and uh, a personal trainer and a nutrition coach. And I'm also a cookbook writer and recipe writer and fitness writer. And I write a couple of columns every week. Um, I guess that's about that. Um, Roland and I also write together. We write um, our website, thefitting.com. And we've also written a book together that's coming out very soon. Yes. It's called Man on Top, and uh, it's going to be on Amazon any day now, in Kindle and in uh, trade paperback. This is the longest introduction in the world. It's actually pretty short. It's only been like a couple of minutes. But um, welcome to the podcast. What we wanted to talk about is this first one, everyone has a first podcast, and this is, uh, this is well, everyone who has a podcast has a first podcast. And uh, this first one, we actually have to do a little introduction, so you're not going to get this kind of boring stuff every time, um, unless that's what you want. Say so in the reviews. And, but, Gary and I each have stories. We met about four or five, how many years ago? Four or five years ago. And... Um, we've sort of known each other online. It wasn't an online dating thing, but it was, we met in an online forum because we both had an interest in fitness and nutrition. Uh, we got to know each other over the years. Eventually we met in person. Well, you always meet in person, but we met, um, in Arkansas at a, at a seminar, uh, the JP Fitness Summit. And, um, um, I don't know, I don't know if the rest is history, but, um, it was a historic moment in the fitness world, right? I can say so. Yeah. So a little bit, um, I'll start, I guess, a little bit, give you a little bit of, of about me, if you don't already know, know me. Um, I grew up, I'm 45 now, I grew up um, either, you know, fat or overweight, depending on, uh, on the time of my life. I was never really into sports at all. I was never into fitness. I was very sedentary. And I didn't have a sweet tooth or anything. I just ate a lot of, uh, I was more about, uh, give me another burger or give me another burrito. And, um, although I always liked cheesecake. That was, uh, that was not a good thing. So too much cheesecake is not a good thing. Uh, but anyway, about 10 years ago, I decided to, uh, to just make a change. And I, like most people, I had dieted many times and always gone back to, uh, to overeating and under-exercising. And 10 years ago, something sort of clicked, and uh, I made the big, big switch. I lost the weight in about in under a year. Um, I lost, at that point, um, when I really decided to get serious, I was about 235, and I went from 235 down to 160, so that's 75 pounds in less than a year. And here it is, 10 years later, still, uh, still fit and um, haven't, gained, haven't regained the weight. Yeah, just a week ago, it was 10 years. It's a pretty cool anniversary. Yeah, 10-year anniversary. So, um, you know, I'm not 160 anymore, um, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm less fat than I was at 160 now. So I'm about 195 today, 
And uh, so I've, over the years, put on a little bit more muscle, lost a little fat, and um, gotten myself back up to a pretty healthy weight, pretty healthy level of muscle, and pretty healthy level of fat. So I'm happy with that. And all this, um, I guess, I do have friends, some friends that you know who have known me through this whole whole time, and um, I think they've uh, they've stopped asking me how how do I keep doing it all these years. Because it's really not hard anymore. It's just uh, it's just a normal part of life. I don't um, I don't have to concentrate to keep losing weight or to keep the weight off. I just um, just sort of live in life now. I think that uh, further down the the road we can do an episode that um, kind of goes over the the changes that you made throughout those ten years. Because you you know a lot more now than you knew back then, and I'm sure if you were starting now you do things a little bit differently. Uh, but it's interesting. Your journey is very interesting. Your fat loss journey and then um, the journey in weight training and kettlebells and um, later into more like a paleo ancestral approach. I think it's a very natural uh, change that you went through and that's what makes it so cool. Yeah, I think a whole episode on that, I think that would be really good. And um, I think that. Um, part of the thing that we used when we wrote the book was we um, we looked at my experience in losing the weight and keeping the weight off, but we also interviewed some of our friends and some of our clients who had also lost the weight and managed to keep it off for a significant amount of time, and uh, might be interested. In, you know, some of those people would you know probably be willing to get on here with us and even talk about some of their own experiences. Yeah. It's very neat. Um, well, maybe it's cool to say that you do have a sort of like a, a nine to five job. Yeah. Um, and you're sort of living this double life where, you know, you're at work all day. Yep. Yeah. So I work, a, you know, a regular job, drive, you know, I spend a lot of time in the car every day, which Tons is of meetings. time not, you know, time not exercising. I've spent a lot of time sitting in chairs, standing in front of a computer or sitting in front of a computer. And so it's not like I'm this, you know, this full-time, you know, fitness guy or personal trainer that's out there that's, that's so active that it's, you know, it's all I can do to, to keep the weight on. No, it's, this is, uh, I lead a pretty much like a normal life. Um, I'm a little bit, you know, right now I'm a little bit overworked because we've been working on so many little projects on the, on the side. So sometimes it's still a struggle for me to get in the level of activity. Uh, that I want to get in and um, find the time to, to cook healthy food and um, and when I'm out on the road during the day, find healthy food on the road so but it can but it can be done. I think that's why you're such a you are such a cool person to write the book with um, and you have such a powerful story because it, a lot of people feel like they have to be extracted from their environment, put on a you know, island somewhere um, in a beautiful virgin place in the world where they can be away from all the distractions, the stress, um, everything that we have to deal with every day and sort of be put in a pristine environment where all of a sudden it's going to be easy now to cook or ch choose uh, the right foods or shop healthier or move more, whatever it is, whereas you have sort of proven that that is not necessary. Um, you can sort of morph these two ways of life where it, it doesn't have to 
take over your life. You can still be who you are, um, you know, and, and go to work and be a dad and, you know, be a husband and all of those things. And it's still manageable. And it's not through being this super organized, um, supernatural freak of nature. It's through just being a regular freak of nature, regular, <laughs> regular freak of nature, just, just living life and, and actually making things simpler other than making them complicated. And, um, well, Since I've known you, like 2004 on, uh, these last, what is it, like eight years, almost nine years now, you've been making things simpler. And, and I love that. It's actually costing you less effort now than it ever did to, to live the life you live of health and fitness. Yeah, I used to be very obsessive about, you know, six meals a day, and they had to be, you know, three hours or two and a half hours apart. I would take the number of meals that I was going to eat during the day, figure out how many hours I was going to be awake, divide that by those number of meals, and then that was the number of hours I, you know, that was how often I needed to eat or how far apart I needed to eat. And since I was on the road for so many of those meals, I would have, I had a big Googler that I would, that I would carry and organize from, from top to bottom. So the first meal was on top, second meal was on the, the bottom. The obsessive compulsive yeah, disorder yeah, organizing it was crazy. system. It was crazy. And it was a lot of food. And like, you didn't want to eat the same thing, like, five meals a day. So it was like on Sunday night, I would make like, 10 different kinds of meals and portion them out for the week and have like... Aren't you glad you're not doing this right now? Yeah, it was ridiculous. There's was no ridiculous. way I could be married yeah. to you <laughs> like that. There's just no way. Well, you know, it's funny when you mentioned a minute ago about um, people wanting to... They think they would need... If, if only I could be in some like desert island or I don't know if you use desert island, but whatever you, the term you used, it made me think of Survivor. Like, mm. Because even today, like when I watch Survivor, I mean, those people go, it's like only like 30 days. But most of them, a lot of them start off with a little bit of weight to lose. And then by the end of the show, they're, they've lost a lot of weight. They, that's one of the things they always show. If you ever go to the Survivor and look at the behind the scenes stuff on the, that's just online only, they will, um, um, they, they weigh them. So then, then they tell you how much they weighed when they got there and how much they weighed when they're leaving. Is your laptop suspending there? No, it's fine. You sure? Okay. Um, I'm hoping. Okay. I think it's just a screen. Yeah. Okay. It's Very good. This is our, you know, our first time. There's yeah. going to be, there's going to be stuff like that happening. We may or may not be able to edit that out. Yeah. We'll find out. <laughs> so. Yeah, but they weigh in it like after 30 days, they lose a significant amount of, of weight. And I think a lot of people think, oh, if I could only go on Survivor. And the same thing with The Biggest Loser. If people go on The Biggest Loser, it's a much longer period of time. Um, but they're away from their environment. They're away from their family, away from their friends, away from the temptations, except for the stupid temptations that they, they put them in on purpose on the show. And But if you look at the reunion shows of either The Biggest Loser or Survivor, and Survivor, I think Biggest Loser... Reunion shows, like years later, a lot of those people have regained some weight. They just had, there was an article recently where they talked about the 30, 30 people who, from past episodes. And, um, I would say more than half of them had gained, regained a lot of the weight back. And, but if you look at Survivor, there are people that were, oh, I'm so glad they're talking along the show. They're so glad that I lost this weight. I'm so glad that I've, I'm losing this weight as the show goes on. And then, like, the reunion show or the, the finale of the show takes place like 10 days or 20 days after the show on the island ends. So they take them to New York and then they have the big finale show. And a lot of them have gained a lot, you know, 
It's only been two weeks or three weeks. Well, I know, but you can still regain a lot of the water and, you know, yeah. store the glycogen. But sometimes you can tell that it's not, you know, yeah. and these people aren't that, weren't that overweight, so they not, weren't regaining 20 pounds of yeah. glycogen. And um, so the, the biggest loser and survivor, things like that, where you get thrown in this environment where, yes, you can lose really fast, but it doesn't teach you anything. It's not realistic. It doesn't give you any coping skills for you know, how to deal with the real world. And you can have a perfect day when you're out there on a perfect island, but, you know, when when your boss is a jerk and your kids are crying and, you know, there's, you know, natural disasters out there and you get stressed out, it is really hard to do that. Um, it's really hard to be in that perfect life mentality. And um, our mission on, um, on this show, I guess, radio show that we're going to be bringing to you... Um, is just to introduce you to a simple way of eating well and moving well and, and just having a life of health and fitness that is not somebody else's life. You know, it's still your life. You're just managing your circumstances better. You're making better choices. And um, you sort of become the manager of your life instead of constantly losing control and, um, you know, trying to do these drastic measures like going on an island or, you know, doing a, a, a detox or whatever it is that people do to, to regain control. And um, this is a culture of, of extremes and, um, you know, people like to do things 100%. So um, we're trying to show you sort of a middle way, a way that you can be balanced and um, you can enjoy things, but at the same time get the results that you want. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when we, we, we kind of wrote down some things that we wanted to talk about today, and um, but one of the things... I have to present myself. I haven't spoken oh, yeah. about myself yet. Okay, well let me finish here and then we'll, we'll okay. do a little, little thing. One of the things that we wanted to talk about was... Um, um, well, let's see. Well, before we go into that a little bit, um, one of the things that I thought since what we want to leave you with to granted today's just the introduction, mm. but we want to leave you with something at, at the end, right? That's going to, that you can actually, you know, implement into your life. That's in the philosophy that we have along the lines of the philosophy that we have. And one of the things, the biggest thing is, not having dramatic change. So small changes a little bit of a time, but make those changes meaningful and something that you know you can succeed at. Um, and, um, it's not, and it's not going to overwhelm you. So maybe at the end we can talk a little bit about, about that. And we can use that, maybe the article that we have up, that was up on, um, um, on Yahoo Sports. Yeah. Where it's like some, it's every, it's a little bit here and a little bit yeah. every week. That was a so, good article that you yeah. wrote. That yeah, was so, really good. Okay, so we talked a little bit about, I introduced myself, gave you a little bit of my background, um, but we did not cover what your background is. And, and it's completely um, different. Yeah. Um, it's like night and day different. Um, so, yeah, so, I was sedentary and bad all my life. And, yeah. uh, and uh, I was um, kind of at the, on the other, other end of the, of the scale, if that exists. We grew up in very different worlds. Uh, Roland grew up in California. I grew up in communist Bulgaria. Um, and I've been living in the U.S. for the, the last year and a half. Um, and it's a different culture, which kind of gives me a good ob observation point, a good vantage point of just seeing things for what they are um, and seeing when something isn't quite normal. Um, so 
having grown up in a very different environment, of course, we grew up with different foods, different habits, um, different nutrition, different family environment, um, different natural movement environment. Um, I was never into strength sports or fitness or anything like that. Um, I was a ballerina. And as a ballerina, you pretty much uh, work your ass off and then you're as hungry as you can take. And um, it doesn't necessarily set a stage for a very, very healthy um, self-image um, or self-confidence because you're never skinny enough, you're never good enough, you never practice enough. It's a, it's a very difficult thing to be in. Um, and then during my teenage years, I had to stop ballet because I got really, really sick. Um, and getting really sick, my medication um, made me very overweight um, for what my body was back then. Um, and then towards the end of my teenage years, um, I got back to activity. And I found myself to really enjoy what at the time was uh, step aerobics and aerobics and like group exercise. Um, and so I became a group exercise instructor really early in my life. Um, and then... Um, Exercise and nutrition at the time in my country were not considered a very, um, very serious thing to, to work. In not a legitimate career. Not like, not like a legitimate career. Um, so it never even crossed my mind that this was something I could do professionally. And, um, going in the sports academy was sort of like for people that weren't intelligent enough to apply anywhere else. Um, and, um, I don't think my parents would have ever encouraged that. So uh, I got my master's in uh, English and British and American studies, linguistics, and I went on Thank to become <laughs> I went on <laughs> to become uh, an English teacher and a translator. And uh, my passion for fitness, though, and uh, for movement, just as a hobby, and diet, just as a hobby, didn't didn't leave me, and it just kept nudging me. So I got certified to be a personal trainer and a group exercise instructor and a massage therapist and started taking some clients on the side. Um, since English was um, an asset where I'm from, um, I could work with foreigners. I'm still not convinced that you're not a spy. Uh, I mean, you may or may, be, may, <laughs> may not be. May or may not be a spy um, yes. coming here to take your nutrition secrets <laughs> away because Americans have it figured out. Yes. Um, but I was actually working with expats a lot and it was really See? cool because <laughs> because they were, you know, they were used to having personal trainers. So it allowed me to get into the culture of personal training with uh, you know, North Americans and, and British people. It was it was wonderful. Um and then I went on to open a personal training studio with um a training partner and it was the first personal training studio in the country and that was really cool uh it taught me a lot about um managing personal trainers managing large um volumes of people managing the diet of hundreds of people or the exercise programs of hundreds of people um it also taught me that uh, overworking yourself is not necessarily the the best thing to do even if your job is the most awesome job in the world um, and then little by little, I got more into writing. So I started writing more articles and blogging more, and I found a real passion for um, for writing. Um, right about that time, um, I started being the fitness editor of um, the Bulgarian version of Fit Pregnancy. So I started working a lot, with me, a lot more with pregnant women and postnatal women, and it sort of became a new passion for me. And until this day, I just love 
love working with pregnant women and, and postnatal and women recovering from pregnancy. Um, so writing became the big thing, and then I started writing recipes. Um, my partner Diana and I shot um, the Art of Real Food series, which is a really, really cool series of recipe books in Bulgarian, and we're soon translating them in English, and hopefully you're going to see them in print in the next six months. And it's... um. It's a series of uh, of books about um, just clean, easy, simple recipes from real food. They're absolutely beautiful. Anyone can cook them. They're very, very simple, and we just love them. Um, we've been accepted very well in Bulgaria, wouldn't you say? And the food's really good. I mean, it's you, really good food. You know, even though I mean, I, I can't read the recipes, but I've tra- I've helped with the editing on a lot of the recipes. And they're very simple. They're very easy to make. And that's like one of the things that, um, in, in my cooking as well, because I, I didn't even mention that I really cook, but I cook a lot as well. And we're both try to keep things really simple. Um, I've been cooking for a long time. And what I've noticed that with a lot of my clients and friends and family who don't really cook is they think that it's very complicated. They think they have to do recipes with 25 and 30 ingredients. And they're often surprised when I cook something and they're impressed by it that it might only have like, you know, five or six ingredients. It's extremely simple. So I do cook some complicated things sometimes, but you have to, but the day to day stuff is is pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, actually, um, even though we're both now into exercise, what the the way we find we first met was through recipes so even though we were both writing <clears throat> on the same um online forum on, on the internet we t- we most of the things that we answered when we answered people's questions were about food and recipes mm-hmm. so people would post recipes and we would do like those little makeovers well if you substitute this or here's a version of the recipe you can do this that is more healthy and um we started to like each other's style of cooking, I, I suppose, and also the answers as far as nutrition and fat loss. We have a, we both have a non-extreme. Yeah, we're we're take very on these similar. Things. We're we're very balanced. We we respect people's bioindividuality, and we'll we're not method people where you know it's my way or the highway. Yeah. Um, it it's very much just really getting into the mindset of the person we're working with. Um, and just helping them through that. What was really interesting with me is that, um, when I left Bulgaria, um, I still had to keep my clients, uh, who were there. And, uh, so a lot of my work went from one-on-one or, you know, small group work to online work. And, um, Roland now works with uh, people in Europe too. And it's really cool how, um, you know, the communications that we have today, are really allowing us to to help people, not just personally, but also over the internet. And, you know, I have full-blown workouts with people and, you know, interviews and coaching sessions. And it, it's just really neat. It's really neat. It's really allowed me to not have that much of a cultural shock moving over here. And it's allowed my clients to keep doing what they, they love doing with me. Well, one of the things that I noticed is when, even though you were writing a lot of your clients' programs, mm. is that there's always a big nutrition component. There's a huge nutrition them. component. So, and people like to throw around, uh, you know, what percentage is 80% of your, your results are going to be nutrition. 
And um, I think it sounds like even when you were, from knowing how you wrote when you were back in Bulgaria, and even when you owned a gym, there was a huge, you're, I think you guys were one of the, the few that actually helped your clients along with their nutrition um, as much as they did with their with your, their workouts. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I, I don't want to say it's like a complete overhaul, but it's so interconnected. Um, it, there's not one component of you that can improve separately um, than, you know, the other parts of you. So if, if you if you want to improve through working out, you're going to have to nourish your body properly. You're going to have to recover properly. You're going to have to have the stress, you know, management techniques to do it. The training is really important. Like <clears throat> getting the proper exercise is really important. But unless your nutrition is in line, the exercise doesn't have as much value. So what, even though you you kind of think of nutrition as being the eighty percent part of it, because if your nutrition is really solid at that 80%, it boosts the value of your, of your exercise to where, um, it's like it's taking advantage of that nutrition. Yeah. And suddenly, suddenly it's more, it gets into that 50-50. But if one thing, but you can't just do the nutrition without the exercise, you can't just do the exercise without the nutrition. Um, the exercise has the capability to take the food that you're eating and channel it into the right areas. So for people who want to lose fat, um, it allows the, the, the right exercise allows you to lose fat instead of muscle. Or, um, or for guys or women who want to gain a little bit of muscle, if your, your exercise is right and then you, and then you eat when you, after you eat, it takes the, it builds muscle. And, and helps you lose fat. So it channels it into the right nutrient, nutrient, nutrient partitioning. Partitioning, kind of. yeah. yeah. So, but there's a value to that too. And also, um, as you, you know, you, you exercise, it allows you to, oh, I'm just rambling. I'm rambling. That's, um, I love when you ramble. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I, that was, I think, one of the things that, that impressed me originally because, you would go on the, a lot of these forums and it, there was, there was really no way to get good nutrition advice. You'd have to go to like scientists. Well, even until today, like if you go back on JP Fitness where we, we both write, you write a lot more than me, um, nowadays. But, um, if you look at the sections of the forum, there's so many different types of training sections. And there's only one that's diet nutrition supplementation and one that's fat loss. Um, where most of the dad questions go and half of those are training in the fat loss section. It's just, it's almost like, um, people, people put too much of an emphasis on the training and not enough emphasis on their nutrition. And then we won't even go into the mind body stuff because that's not even, you know, talked about. Uh, and it's such a, such a giant component of, um, of what happens to you. But, um, I, I feel like we've been very fortunate coming off coming from two completely different backgrounds, you having a, a very powerful personal experience and me having a very, you know, a very solid base of having helped a lot of people in different situations. And also, you know, knowing who can we help and who we can't help. And the people that we can't help um, having, you know, grown a referral network where we can refer out. And um, it's really... It's been the passion of my life, and um, I'm just very excited that um, we're sitting here years later and we're doing this. I, I couldn't have imagined that we'd be here ever.
Yeah, and that's what's so cool about life. It is cool. Um, and my, my most recent journey professionally, the last two years, has been um, studying restorative exercise and uh, becoming a restorative exercise specialist and hopefully, um, you know, in the next four or five years, becoming a restorative exercise master teacher. And it is, I'm sure we're going to do a complete show on it and maybe even have um, Katie Bowman, um, the inventor of restorative exercise and, you know, owner of the Restorative Exercise Institute to talk about it. Um, because restorative exercise is, uh, like she likes to joke, pre-paleo. Um, it's almost like the missing link between our modern life now, the bodies that have adapted to a modern life, and um, transitioning into exercise that's going to load your body in some way. Uh, and it's almost like taking your car for an alignment, taking your body for an alignment um, for a period of time before you can go and, and load it. Just like you want to align your, your car before you throw it on the highway and you do a high-speed high speed chase. Um, that would be the, the car CrossFit, the high-speed chase. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm loving it. It's a, it's a great journey for me. It has been a great journey for me personally and a great journey for me professionally. And I'm, I'm excited about what the future is going to bring. Just today, just driving driving home to record this, we're talking about um, what were we going to talk about on the, on our first show, and I said, well, we got to introduce ourselves, and that's taken twenty nine minutes. Good for us. Um, There's a couple of nuggets of information in there, yeah. more than just about us. And uh, we're not that focused on us usually, but it, it's kind of, I guess, important for a first show that we're not uh, some anonymous internet experts. Um, and we're not anonymous. You can go on thefitting.com and read about us or come over to Facebook and find us yep. and see that we're very much uh, real people. And um, we're talking about um, our concept of a tipping point, both in nutrition and in exercise, when when things go wrong, where things don't work well. Um, and how there's all these factors in your life that accumulate that you eventually go, you know what, something's wrong and I gotta pay attention to my eating or to my, to my movement habits. And Roland is, um, I think he's the, the, the author of that whole idea and I, I love it because it's applicable to so many things in life. Well, I can't take credit because Malcolm Gladwell actually has the tipping point as, oh, a, yeah. as a book. That is right? true. Um, but it's, um, I think that, let me sort of make it into like a little story or like a little anecdote. I don't know what, I don't know what you call this, but, or I'll, a metaphor. Tell, a metaphor. I'll tell you what happens. Okay. So here's <laughs> what happens. Somebody will, um, come to me. Sometimes it's, it's a, my day job or it's a family member or, or a friend and they'll say, you know, I was cruising along just fine, and all of a sudden I got Hashimoto's disease. Or I was cruising along, and all of a sudden I have, I, I heard the other day, I have type 2 diabetes. And they're like, I was fine before that. I suddenly got fat. I suddenly, well, yeah, that's different, because usually they suddenly started to get fat. Yeah. But, um, but so the type 2 diabetes, well, you I mean, you kind of look at it, and you look back, and they said, yeah, ask them, did you... Have you seen the doctor last year? Yes. Well, how was your blood sugar then? He didn't say. It was not a problem. Things were okay. So within a year, I went from, and I haven't gained much weight. And I gained a little bit. Haven't gained much weight. I'm like, let's say the person's 35. 
haven't gained much weight in the last year. Last year, their glue, their blood, their fasting blood glucose was fine. This year, suddenly the doctor says you're diabetic. What happened in that between that time? Did they really do something so dramatic to cause? I mean, their eating habits were the same basically for the past year. They haven't suddenly started drinking extra sodas. And um, no, but what's what's happening is they they he lived thirty five he. 35 years with not sleeping enough, not getting enough exercise, eating too much sugar, uh, too much carbs. He was eating a lot of shortening and hydrogenated fats, a lot of soybean oil, and things that we haven't really talked about this stuff too much, but these are things that are generally acknowledged as, um, as, as barriers to good health. Or contributing factors contributing to developing factors to disease. So a lot of times people look at these in, a, in, in an isolated little thing. Well, I'm not eating that much soybean oil, and so soybean oil isn't causing the problem. Or I'm not, yeah, maybe I am eating too much sugar, but that alone isn't going to cause these things. And maybe that's true. Maybe that alone isn't going to cause these things. But if you think about it, it's like you're making this big stack. Each one of these things is like a big stack of books or... Um, it's going higher and higher, or Jenga, you know, it's going higher and higher and higher. And all the higher it gets, the higher the stack gets, the less it takes for something to come along and knock it over, and bam, you have type 2 diabetes. Or, you know, maybe you're a woman, bam, you have Hashimoto's disease. The thing could have been on the verge all the time, but your body can only take so much and has a tipping point. Well, I think that um, what you mentioned here, sleep, is a big uh, part of it where people are thinking that just because their neighbor's lights are, you know, on at the same time that their lights are on, that it's normal to sleep five or six hours a night. And we know that, um, you know, just one night with sleep deprivation will make you, uh, to an extent, insulin resistant the next day. So it already makes you... Uh, eat and act like a, like a type 2 diabetic. And Yeah, have you ever, this happens to me, I don't get enough sleep, like often like um, before a trip. I'll stay up too late packing, and then i got to get up early, and then I'm worried, I have to get up extra early, and then I snooze a couple of times because I'm afraid I'm going to miss my flight, afraid I'm going to get to the airport, and I think, oh, I'll just sleep on the plane. Well, what happens is, yeah, I get there on time, but I'm really tired, I don't really want to sleep when I'm on the plane. I want to read my book, or if it's got a movie on the on the front screen there, I want to watch that. But suddenly I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. You're gonna eat the, all the crap. Yeah, food. I'll eat. I'll eat anything. Things that I wouldn't normally eat, and um, and it's because typically because you're you know you've had some sort of a you know, insulin issues now. You've got increase in cortisol, which is a hormone that. Um, that can stimulate insulin release, which then can make your blood sugar drop, which then can make you hungry. And then not having slept and having your, your brain tired also makes you more impulsive. It, so you uh, go it ahead and... reduces your, in, your inhibitions. Inhibitions. Yeah. And, so you reach yeah. for things that you normally wouldn't. Like, uh, you know, the French have a saying, the first bottle of wine is the most expensive. Because, you know, once you have that first bottle of wine, you're like, just bring me more wine. Yeah. Uh, once your inhibitions are down, it is hard. And if you think about a lot of these people working in an office environment, it is horrible. You don't get enough sleep. 
you're stressed out, you're constantly working under deadlines, there's bad food at the office well, all the time. Let's talk a little bit about that because we talked about sleep. I think we've got that point across and how sleep is part of this tipping point thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, big, a big part. It's, it's a couple of thick books or a lot of thin books. Then you've got stress. Let's say, let's take the office as an example, but it can be anywhere. It can be, um, you know, home with the kids. It can be helping your kids with homework. It can be helping kids with homework when somebody's coming over for dinner tonight and you have mm-hmm. to hurry up and vacuum, clean the toilets, make dinner. Oh, I forgot to take something out of the freezer. All these things, stress. And so, this is just the stress that's like life stress. Life stress. You don't even know because it's to you it's normal, but it's not. And there's also. It's not normal. And there's also the other stress of. What does your body go through? What does your autonomic nervous system go through every time that you get a nasty email? What what happens yeah. when you have to sit under artificial light all day? What happens when, you know, the temperature is not the right temperature for your body right now at your office or at Starbucks? At Starbucks. What happens when, um, you know, you're not, because of the position you're sitting in, now suddenly you're breathing in a way that your body perceives as stressful. So any of these things, any of these you things have all these stress, really pile up. and then it's the same thing with the sleep. You got the cortisol release, or you got you have whatever. You have all sorts of different hormones that are being affected. And have you ever had to like? Sometimes I'll be at work and I'm working on some sort of a project, and I've got a deadline. People keep coming on asking me questions, interrupting, interrupting you. me. The phone's ringing. My BlackBerry vibrates, and. Um, I lose a file. I need, you know, the, I'm just totally getting stressed. You're getting stressed out. I'm getting stressed out. just talking, just about, talking about it, right? Just talking about it. Like your shoulders are rising up. <sighs> you're starting to stutter. It's making me hungry. <laughs> Do you have any candy? No, um, no candy in this house. There's no candy in this house. So, um, she's a... Uh, I'm a Nazi. Don't say that. You're not that bad. But <laughs> it's just, you're just mean. Um, but all of these stressors... They, they're, they're going to make you hungry too. So like when I'm at this, doing this deadline thing, I'm sitting there and I don't have time for lunch or maybe I do have time for lunch, but still I know there's a candy bowl right around the corner. So when I walk over to the printer to get my printout, I walk by the candy bowl and ah, I'm just going to grab one because my inhibitions are less. Your body can only, you can only concentrate. You can only resist so much. Oh yeah. yeah. And the more you say no, the harder it is to say no the next time. There was this really cool study where... um you know, they were showing that willpower is this finite resource. Um, I think it was in the book Switch by Dan and Chip Heath, where they talk about how um, they took these people and put them in a room um, where it really smells like chocolate chip cookies. It's like this really nice aroma, fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. It's like Febreze with chocolate chip cookie smell. Yeah. And they, they separate them in two groups. Um, and both groups are exposed to this delicious smell. And one group is given this, um, big bowl of chocolate chip cookies and they tell them, go ahead and have them, eat them, eat as much as you want. And the other group is given a big bowl of chocolate chip cookies and a big bowl of radishes. And their job is not to eat the chocolate chip cookies, but to eat the radishes for the duration of this experiment. And so once they're done, they put them in a different room and give both groups a mathematical task that has no solution. So they keep trying to solve it and keep trying to solve it and keep trying to solve it until they finally say, you know what, this cannot be solved, and I give up. So the group that was allowed to eat the chocolate chip cookies actually spends um, a much longer time 
before they give up on the task than the group that was eating the radishes because their willpower is already spent. They've spent their willpower not eating those cookies, so they're now not going to use it to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. So if you think of willpower as a finite resource, you can see how the more you stretch yourself and the more stressed out you get, the harder it is to um, resist the things that are around you. Um, yeah. So you've got, stre- got sleep, you got lack of stress. sleep, stress, which lack of sleep and stress, I think, kind of go in There's the same. There's a huge overlap In there. the same pile. But I mean, they're two, when we think of them as two different things. Yeah, because, because they're... They're two different habits. Yeah. And then there's, I mean, obviously being certainly, we've kind of overlapped again into temptation, mm. right? So being the cookies, but also in an office environment, there's a bowl of candy, there's a vending machine down the hall. You could have the healthiest food in the house, but if you have a vending machine in your office and you're tempted by that, knowing when you're hungry, knowing the vending machine is right there. It's um, easy. It's it, easy to, to it's, succumb. Yeah, it's tough. So, and we're not talking about live this life of a hermit where you're never going to have anything from a vending yeah. machine. We're just talking about um, how all these factors can pile up to where they end up making you feel sick or making you be sick. Yeah. I think um, I think what's important, we can sort of wrap up this little tipping point part here, um, because future episodes we're going to cover a lot more detail about some specifics but we have a little mantra and it's it's in the book and we write about it a lot um on on our on our website and it's to control what you can control and then and then manage what what you can't so or minimize what you can't depending on uh, on how clever we sound that day but there are things in your life that you can control that cause stress that cause temptation and then there are parts of your life that you cannot control but mm-hmm. you're still put into those positions you can still manage yeah. a, a good example is and i'm sorry to interrupt you no, no, uh, a good example is um things you can control is like what kind of a breakfast you're going to make for yourself um, you're in complete control you're in your own kitchen you're you're the boss so you're going to decide whether to do a bowl of cereal or make an omelet or even take it one step backward, you're gonna, you're in control of having the food in the house that you can yeah. eat for breakfast. So it, you're in complete control. But then say that you are at a party and you're not in control of the catering and what they're serving. If you were in control of the catering, they'd have like little grass fed beef skewers and grilled pineapple. And, and no one would come to your party. <laughs> and it would be awesome. You'd have grass fed cheese. It would be amazing. But kombucha, maybe, I don't know what kind of person you are, but you'd have something really cool there, gluten-free beer, I don't know. But say you show up to a party and they have, I don't know, french fries, carrot sticks, uh, little pieces of cheese, and some sort of deep-fried chicken wings. And now a this million is a, pieces of chocolate. Yeah. And, this and is cheesecake a, and ice, whatever. Stop dreaming. And Mm. now there's a situation you can manage. You're not in control of the situation, but you can manage the situation where you can have a small glass of red wine and have some carrot sticks and have some pieces of cheese um, and not go for, uh, you know, the deep fried chicken wings and, you know, drink seven beers. So another example of what you can control but what you can't is 
you might have to get up early tomorrow for a, for for a meeting or a webinar or something like that. You can't control that. You can't. You are not in charge of the schedule. You need to be there. Your boss told you, or you're some sort of training that you signed up for. You have to be there. But so you have to manage it. How can you manage that? Well, you might have to go to bed a little bit early, mm. right? So you can manage that part of it. But in then even in the bigger, so these are two sort of micro examples. Mm-hmm. These are specific examples for there's a there's a specific problem and here's how to manage it. Um, specific problem that you can't control, but here's how to manage it. But then uh, overall in life, the what you need to do to get the best results is re- control more things that you can control. So when you go back to that tipping point, fewer books get stacked on that stack. So there are things that you can't control. Minimize those. And, but you can, in theory, control how much sleep you get, right? You can control your, your healthy diet to the point where by organizing your shopping better and making sure you have food. A big thing is making sure you don't have the foods that are tempting you. So if you have, if you succumb to chocolate chip cookies that are by the bag or a sleeve of Oreos that's in there, um, Try not to have the sleeve of Oreos even in the house. So you can't, in this way, you can't control your thoughts, but you can control what's in the house. You can control that and keep out of temptation. All of these are things that are not, that are reducing the stress, reducing the, the stack of books mm. and keeping, keeping that tipping point farther away. It's, it's really cool that, um, Tipping point um, metaphor is is really convenient to use with anything in in your life, uh, for your relationships, your finances, anything. And uh, in in our book, Man on Top, um, uh, how to lose fat and control your weight for life, um, we we pretty much show this system of uh, how to think of both of your nutrition and your movement as sort of a bank account, where you have your installments and your withdrawals. And uh, you can control this balance. Uh, with movement, there is a tipping point there too, where it's not eating junk food or not being prepared or succumbing to temptation, but it's more um, just giving in to the flow of life, which is very sedentary nowadays. Uh, people in America spend a lot of time in their cars. Life is like that. Uh, you're going to be spending time at home, maybe sitting on the couch. And... Um, it's really easy to not move a lot. So you add time in the office, time in the car, time sitting at home, and you look at your day and you find that 67% of your time, you are on your butt. And uh, this is not a position that nature meant you to be in. And we're going to talk a lot about um, in, in other shows about how the position that you take in life determines your health and how there's all sorts of mechanical reasons for uh, different diseases. But it's sort of a catch-22 thing because once you're sitting, now your digestion is not functioning properly and now your breathing is not functioning properly and now your muscles are getting shortened a certain way. And then you go to the gym to make up for this but is your gym really making up for it when you're still spending 67% of your day sitting on your butt and then you're spending 10% of your day sitting on a reclining bicycle in the gym? So some of the solutions that the fitness industry has come up with to battle the sedentary lifestyle are nothing short of moronic. 
N- not because I'm I'm sorry I get to say things like that in English and pretend I don't know what it means. Uh, but it it's just our solution to to us being sedentary has not been enough. Not because you're not exercising hard enough, but because we're not getting to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is you're sitting too much. The root of the problem isn't you're not exercising. So it 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 sort of com- piles other stressors and other issues on on top of your already sedentary lifestyle which is why we see many people going to the gym who keep looking the same year after year, year. after year after year and I, I was telling Galia the other day that um I ran into somebody that I started going to the gym with 10 years ago when I first started going to the gym and uh when I started going back to the gym because I've had this gym membership since I was 16 years old. <laughs> okay, he, this guy pays $6 a month. This is how long he's been <laughs> yes. a member. Yes. Um, but, the so I saw this guy. Hey, how's it going? I re- we didn't remember each other's names because it was been 10 years, but he looked exactly the same. He's still, he's so still overweight. He's still, he could have been on the same machine. And at the, and at the gym, uh, where I train clients, um, you know, there's, there's people that will share. I teach uh, nutrition workshops there. And some of the women will, will just, you know, be in tears and say, you know what? I'm working my, my ass off here, you know, day and day in and day out. And I'm eating less and I'm doing everything I can. And the weight will just not come off. And the truth is, if you don't have exercise deficiency, adding exercise is not going to help. And many people have movement deficiency. They don't have exercise deficiency. It's a paradigm shift a little bit in, in the minds of people that is going to become more and more popular to think about because it's just so logical. One of the things you said a minute ago uh, was you're sitting all day, you're tired, you're driving, mm. and then you're too tired, so you stay on the couch, but you don't do anything. And I think the biggest problem from my perspective is that um, working out is hard. Okay, so if they're, if, if you're, if your workout plan, you work all day and know your workout plan at the end of the day is I'm going to the gym because I'm going to lift weights or I'm going to the gym and I'm going to do intervals on the treadmill or I'm going to do the elliptical on number eight for 38 minutes or 40 minutes. Those are hard, right? So you're tired by the time six o'clock you still haven't had dinner you're late for getting home and you know you barely have enough you look at the clock and if i i'm not gonna have time to get home for my show it's already been started i have to turn on the tv just to turn on the ddr you know whatever so i mean you're looking at things that's too hard okay if you don't go to the gym people don't recognize walking as a valid exercise because they but if you can't go to the gym, don't just sit on the couch. You have half an hour. I mean, it takes you 15 minutes to get ready for the gym, go to the gym, come home. That's half an hour right there. That's not enough time to work out, to get there and work out and get back, but it's enough time to go for a 30-minute walk. It doesn't take any special shoes, anything like that. Just get out there and walk. It's important. It's an overlooked. Trainers make fun of it. Oh, you can't just have them go out and walk. Well, because nobody's going to pay you to teach them how to yes. walk. Well, they'll pay me, but and it, also it's because a walking. Thing. I mean, people, the trainer looks at it as well. I can have them burn so many more calories in the gym, or I can have them build muscle in the gym. Yeah, that's true, but it, you know, we're talking about health, and 
in addition, but it and it does burn calories. And so it, and it's all and it's all a tipping point thing. Um, one you know I don't remember who said that one man's food is another man's poison, and then one man's exercise is another man's death. I guess because you you really need to sit and evaluate the um, sort of the environment that that person is in. And if you have a mom that's getting up at 5.30 in the morning to get her three kids uh, ready for school and then is running around all day doing errands and cleaning the house and cooking and, you know, she feels not very satisfied with her life because she feels like she's going in a circle day in and day out like a zombie. This is all stress. <laughs> do you want to <laughs> Do you want to add, you know, two workouts a day to that mom's life? Yes. Is that is that something that she needs, especially if she has an injury or there's something else going on? So it's really important to evaluate every person's specific situation. Well, and what she's what Gary is not saying there is that while you the exercise is important, so like weightlifting can be important and intervals can be important, but recovering from those things are is stress. So. It takes, it adds stress to your already stressful life to recover from this exercise. Not to mention the stress of stressing out about, oh, I can't believe I have to go to the gym. If I don't go to the gym, I'm going to get fat. Or, you know, so these intervals and things, they're, 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 if you are so stressed out that you, you can't take anymore, if you're close to your tipping point, just go out and walk because walking, if anything, it's a stress reliever. You go out and walk. Maybe you're going to put your headphones in. Maybe you're listening to this. Um, maybe you're listening to some music. But it's a, more of a stress reliever. And walking, just the just the action of walking is is going to help reduce we'll, some stress. We'll get to talk. We'll do like a, a show on just walking. And we'll talk about walking technique and, you know, foot placement and our movement and alignment and, and how to walk properly, uh, which is something that you kind of build yourself back up to. Uh, but even, um, we live in, in an area where, uh, there's this lake that's kind of like, like a mile and, I guess I'm- 1.1 miles around. 1.1 miles around. Okay, it's hard to say. And, um, in my mind it's like 2200 steps. Uh, <laughs> cause I, I have my pedometer. Um, but I see all these people walking the lake. Like, I don't know, I don't know what they do. Are they stockbrokers? I don't know what they're doing in their lives, but they're on their phones and they're yelling. And I'm like, oh, you probably shouldn't be walking and yelling. I guess it's better to walk and yell than to just yell. Uh, but, you know, carving out some time for yourself, 30 minutes a day uh, or an hour a day may really be a, a lifesaver. And, and getting your butt out of a chair can really be a lifesaver. Not because all by itself it's going to make a huge change, but because it's part of this tipping point phenomenon where now it's a compounding factor. Now it's the straw that broke the camel's back. It's not all by itself the solution to your issue. You, you have your life and, and you, only you know what your life takes to live and how you're going to balance those elements and your satisfaction and you know your goals and your careers and your joys and uh, your celebrations. But you still need to to be objective about what goes on in there. And um, oftentimes, the Western solution to a problem is to add something. Oh, I'm feeling really, um, I, I guess I don't have energy. I need to take a supplement. Or I don't have um, 
I don't have the time to to do a workout, so I'm just going to do a harder workout. Or, um, you know, I'm going to get up earlier and start going to the gym. But adding a thing uh, may just add to your tipping point. Yes, yesterday and, and somebody just asked you. me, what can I eat to lose weight? What can you not eat to lose weight is what I want to say. And we live in such a do culture, do more, do work, do more, do work. And and that's fine because it's it's gotten us to a point that we want to be at in, in some aspects. But in other aspects, it's really going against us. So going more with a, a more a sort of Mediterranean or even Eastern type of mentality where doing less actually allows you to achieve more is um it is such a a much better concept and it can you know actually decrease the chance of reaching your tipping point instead of um getting there so really evaluating those situations we're going to probably do the, the next, zen lifestyle yeah we're probably going to do um a couple more shows where we just talk about these components of the tipping point both in exercise and nutrition and stress relief and you know relationships and and all that stuff um just because it is a, a whole life subject. It is a holistic subject. Um, it's not one thing's going to fix everything. And uh, we are kind of brought up to believe that uh, if we excel at one element, then everything else is going to fall into place. And it's a hard lesson to learn that that's not true. What can we give people as some sort of an actionable... Uh, like a homework... Yeah, because we, we, we talked a lot. We talked a lot about stress and a lot about tipping points. And um, Let's I know you're working on some things in your own life, and I'm working on some things in mine. Well, what? right now, on my tipping points, I'm really working on um, getting my sleep in order and making sure that I get eight and a half hours of sleep every night. And I'm doing this um, not by myself. I'm using an internet-based program called Dance Plan. And you can go to danceplan.com. And the program allows you to set a goal for what time you want to go to bed and how many hours you want to sleep. And every day, all you do is you go in and you plug in when you went to bed and when you got up. And it keeps you real about how much sleep you got. Um, and I love it. Dan's a sleep researcher himself. And you can you can look him up on the website and see the awesome work he's doing. So I would say if you're somebody who knows they should be getting more sleep, but instead of sleeping, you're checking your Facebook, um, cut that out an hour before you go to bed, turn off all devices, dim the lights, read a book or chillax, have a, a cup of hot tea and uh, just really get yourself in relaxation and sleep mode so that you can sort of wash away the stressors of the day and allow yourself to have a restful sleep. So if you're one of these people, do what I'm doing and um, hit us on Facebook, um, write how you're doing, write us an email if you have any questions. Uh, but really just make an effort to go to bed on time and to sleep more. Even if it's half an hour more than you're sleeping now, it's going to make a huge difference. I went from an average of 7 hours and 45 minutes to an average of eight hours and 20 minutes in about two weeks. So I'm pretty happy. One of the things that you mentioned there was turning things off, turning mm. off your electronic things mm. before. There have been some studies that the light from these things and the the, the light, the, the wavelengths of light mm. from electronic devices, even if it's like your iPhone mm. or an iPad or, or something like that, right before bed, changes the how deep and how quickly you go into sleep. Yeah, right? and the phases of sleep that yeah. you go through. So one of the things 
I realized that I used to read a lot of books and the, I read them in bed. Mm-hmm. But the last couple of years, I've read a lot. These, this is, I still read a lot of nonfiction books, but the fiction that I read, I would read before, like right before I would fall asleep. And I would get into these books and sometimes I could sleep, for, I could read for like two hours. Well, you, I'm going from using my computer all the way up until I have to go to bed. And then I try to read, and like I've read the same chapter of this book like ten times. Yeah, I don't remember what it says. So, and it's like only like fifteen minutes, and I fall asleep. And I'm like nodding my head, and um, nodding your head on a podcast doesn't do any good either. So, um, I'm doing visual things over here. So, I'll join you a little bit on on that uh, on that sleep thing by turning off my computer a little bit. Earlier. I think you should, and. Uh... You know, we're always trying to to get things done in the last part of the day, but that's usually when we're least productive, we're most tired, we're most likely to write something stupid, then we have to go and edit in the morning. Um, and, you know, it's already out there in the blogosphere, and, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, so if you want... So that's something. Focus but, on your sleep. I think that's a big thing, and it's under... Um, it's underappreciated. It's underappreciated. It's under-discussed, under-talked. Yeah. Americans are sleeping. That's something to, to do that's good. Not if a lot. you have something that's in the, I'm going to put a link. We're going to, we'll have a blog post for this episode. There will be links in there and we'll, I'll put a link up to that article on Yahoo Sports. No, oh, Because yes. it has some more specifics. A week by week things you can do if you're ready to, if you're ready to lose some weight. And improve your health, and it's gotten some really some good simple nutrition steps. Really, some really good response. One of uh, one of my friends read it, and wow. he um, reported that he went for he was able to his doctor took him off of his high blood pressure medication, That's amazing. and his cholesterol already went down from super simple things. It was one thing that um, the article my article asked you to do per week. So just one simple thing, like you know, take some fish oil, and then a week later, drink more water. And he did these things, and uh, he said it brought awareness to his diet where, and some more awareness to his exercise habits. And, uh, hey, his doctor was all for it a week, um, a couple months later. No medicine. That's excellent. And, you know, you usually don't think of uh, going on Yahoo Sports and uh, getting uh, great um, nutrition advice, but there's been more and more good advice going on pretty mainstream um, websites. Some of our favorite... Um, dietitians and nutritionists are now writing for pretty main pub- mainstream publications. Hmm. So I think um you know there's going to be more and more uh steps in the in the right direction towards more real food and uh natural movement and uh, I'm excited to be a part of this. Uh I feel like um w- there's still so much room for uh, getting these important messages across. So if you like this uh podcast, if you uh, find us helpful. Uh, it's our first one, so be, uh, I don't know, have mercy on us. Uh, and, <laughs> I think we've um, both already identified some things that we could do differently next time. Like, yeah. I'd like to say, um, less. <laughs> You're so funny. Uh, and but. But if you like this, uh, please go ahead and um, recommend this to a friend that you think uh, is going to benefit from listening to us uh, on their way to work or uh, during their uh, their walk. And uh, we're very passionate to get this message across, and uh, we can use your help. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back to you with another episode in a week or two. Yeah, check out the, uh, the show notes on thefitink.com. And that's... And, uh- www. You, you don't, don't say need to that put the anymore. www anymore. dot the fit 
inkink.com. Like ink on paper. Yeah, thefitink.com. Yeah, the and you can go on Facebook and find the Fit Ink. Well, yeah, there's a couple well. different ways to, to reach us. Um, Facebook.com slash thefitink mm-hmm. is us. Then you can also get me at Facebook.com slash Roland Denzel. And you are Facebook.com slash, you don't know. I have no idea. I think Galena Denzel. I think it's Denzel. Galena Denzel. G-A-L-I-N-A Denzel, D-E-N-Z-E-L. And mine's Roland, R-O-L-A-N-D, D-E-N-Z-E-L. Yeah. Right. So come if over. If you have questions you want us to address on the next uh, next podcast, feel free to tell me you want you want it to be anonymous and uh or if you want your name out there that's good too yeah thank you for listening and uh have a a great day eat well and uh, move well and just do a little better than you did yesterday good one